Welcome to HACCP Mentor, where it's all about helping you make your food business compliance easier. Sit back and relax as we get our food safety, HACCP and quality compliance on. Hello and welcome back to Off the Menu. I'm Peter Holtman from Holtman Professional Services and with me as always is my trusty colleague here is Amanda Evans-Lara from Hassett Mentor. Say hello, Amanda. Hello, Peter. Great to have you back again. Thanks for doing the trek up from Sydney. It's always a nice um, nice drive for you and I know how much time you love spending with me. Absolutely. I can't <laughs> get enough of it. <laughs> I'm glad you changed your shoes uh, this fortnight. Yeah, no shoes this time. No shoes. No shoes. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, this is not a... Um, a video or a vodcast. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I People have got to look at those feet. <laughs> the beautiful feet. Big bird springs to mind. That's it. That's it. So we've been, um, if you're new to Off the Menu, we're in episode seven now, where in this particular series we're looking at how to progress through your career in the food industry. Absolutely. And we're talking about mastery of your profession as you move through different levels of competence and capability as a food safety professional. Yeah, so we've really been focusing on what skills you need at each level, what experience is expected, what knowledge you should have to be at this particular level, and also the personal attributes that allow you to be at this level as well. Absolutely. And uh, we talk about how your work experience demonstrates your ability to apply the knowledge you have learned by using your skills and how your attributes help you progress into roles of more complexity, more authority and more responsibility. Yeah. And obviously more trust. And hopefully with that comes more dollars. Absolutely. With that. So this uh, episode, Pete, we're now on to the level of competent. That's so can you explain to our listeners of Hassett Mentor what this actual level of competent means? Absolutely. Well, to use the words of Snoop Dogg, you know your shizzle at this point in time. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you've actually attained a, a sound working level of knowledge and skills for the food industry. Okay, so we're expecting this around about the three years experience oh, I think you're at the five-year mark. Maybe three to five years would be, would be about five. right. Three okay. to five years in this role, depending on how complex the role is that you're working in. And obviously the industry that you're in as well, if you've been moving around to different ones. So it doesn't mean that just because you've been working for five years, that's not what we're saying. No, no, it's five years of relevant experience. Experience. Absolutely. In the food industry. Yeah, in the food industry and perhaps within a role within the food industry as well. So it's all one thing to be a, an icing fondant shoveler five years ago. And Just go back to episode five to episode learn about five. Peter's uh, uh, Illustrious career in shoveling yes, icing mix. Yeah, that's, that's it. it. 
So just because I've done that doesn't mean that uh, I'm now an expert in writing food safety systems. There was a lot of water under that bridge in order to get to that point. That and a lot of icing sugar. And a lot of icing sugar. <laughs> I didn't know icing sugar can flow under a bridge, but I guess it no. can. <laughs> well, applying the additive that you spoke about in the previous episode well, there you to go. know the anti-caking agency, may, maybe it can. Wow, does icing sugar hold non-Newtonian properties, Amanda? Oh, my head's hurting. Stop it. Can it be thixotropic? Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. Stop go. it. I didn't learn that stuff. Well, and if I did, go. I've forgotten it. Well, I think the only thing that comes to mind for me is uh, corn flour. That's uh, the one they always use in high school, right, of a non-Newtonian fluid. Again, even that word, Pete, just you need to dumb that down for me. <laughs> Remember, right, I've, had children. I've had children. I've had children, so yeah. I don't. I don't retain oh a lot of God. stuff. No excuse. <laughs> I'm using it. I'm using it. I'm not using any other excuse. I'm so using that one. after three to five years of experience, you've probably migrated into roles such as being on the internal audit team. You might be part of the team that develops the food safety systems, or you might even be holding down some sort of regulatory role in the organisation. Yep. So HACCP team, that's probably a classic one around yep. the food safety and I think also definitely the internal audit team. So you may not be the audit team leader, but you're definitely on the team auditing different sections within your actual business. Yep, absolutely. So yep. there's some of the job roles that you you may be doing at this from a food safety perspective, but I think also you could be a supervisor on a production line. Absolutely. You can be the supervisor of a team with varying levels of responsibility, but more importantly now you've got authority, which means you're able to make decisions, solve problems and deviate from normal process under good cause. I think one this week actually, I've been away, one of my clients have been audited to SQF and when I look at the structure within their business, so we have our process workers and then the next level is the team leader, which this is where I think the team leader falls into this competent level as opposed to the supervisor of, say, the entire packing area because we you know, we do 24-hour production at that site, so they'll have three shifts, three different team leaders as opposed to the supervisor who will do the entire department from that side of it. Yep, so that that's what sense. I'm going to refer back to is sure. it's that team leader position. Okay. I think from my memories in the uh, working in the food industry, I think I hit a level of competence when I became an external food safety auditor. So, and what I mean by external food safety auditor, I was a supplier auditor or second party auditor. So, wasn't necessarily out doing third party certification audits yet, but I was well on the way to becoming that uh, certification or compliance auditor that was out there. And why did I think I was competent at that stage? Well, one, I was actually telling myself that I was competent at that <laughs> Talk stage. yourself up, Pete. Self-certification, there's plenty of that in industry. Yes. <laughs> but I knew a lot about the industry that I was working in and I, and I had quite granular detail around the processes that we were employing within that production and within that factory and within that industry that allowed me to go out and determine that these ingredients needed to be a certain 
grade or a certain quality in order to not impact the outcomes of our production process because I knew what a non-compliant ingredient would do to the process. Right, so a lot more knowledge around that side of it. Absolutely. So I think my level of confidence, I would say I was at this level. When I first started doing those little waitressing jobs when I was eight, I think you know, by the next time I went back to that restaurant, I was telling the other staff members how to uh, waitress. The exact same restaurant. <laughs> the same restaurant. <laughs> Eight years old. There no, you go. Or in all seriousness, I think when I was then, we had other food inspectors in my office. So when I was their supervisor, when my manager was away, we would step up and have the acting supervisor or acting manager of the food inspection unit within a public health unit, not within all of New South Wales Health, obviously. This is just in our regional units. So that's where the where it reached at that level. But in my production clients or consultancy clients, it's generally, as I said before, when you reach that team leader position. And yes, you have you know exactly what you just said before, Pete. You've got the knowledge. You've got a lot of confidence. You're feeling quite proficient. You don't let people tell you how to do stuff who are in a position lower than you. That's general. Well, that, maybe that's just me. I think that's just you, Amanda. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no one's telling me what to do. I know boats. Again, that's back when I was eight. Of no. course. <laughs> so much has changed since then. Yeah, so much. So much. <laughs> anyway. Go back, keep on track, please, Peter. Right. Looking at the, you're talking about your other experience of of when you felt you got to that level of competence. Yeah. So one thing that I was very confident about is being able to identify hazards and severity, but also the likelihood. And so that's a different skill set that you're learning, which is, okay, I know something's bad and and how bad it's going to be. But what I'm actually doing now is I'm learning how to predict when that could occur or how often that might occur given the production environment or given the operating conditions. Whereas that means that shows that I've had sufficient time to study the process, study the statistics or the history of that process, and be able to make a forward determination of future performance. Does that sound like an audit? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. And at this point, were you actually provided by your employer at the time additional training or additional courses that Absolutely. you went to increase that level of knowledge that you previously had? Yeah. So why did I get picked by that employer to do that? One is because I was helping in the previous roles, to helping to improve the process as a, an automatic function of my role. And so I was able to identify improvement. So I was given enough rain in that role to identify improvement and have others verify and implement that improvement. So that gave the employer sufficient amount of trust and confidence in my capabilities to take it to a higher level of authority, which means in this, in the supplier order to roll, it could mean turning off a supplier or approving a new supplier for use. So because I was given that level of uh, authority, they wanted to make sure that I had the level of competency or capability to go with it. And 
the component that they wanted to upskill was the knowledge. So that's where the internal auditing training came in. So do you think after you received your internal auditor training, did you believe at that point you were competent, even though you hadn't been out and done any actual auditing or reviews of that type? You just had the knowledge, okay, which they teach you in those courses and we have an online internal auditing course and online HACCP course on how to, you know, put together your food safety plan and identify hazards and, and risks, but also from the internal auditing, how to actually go out and what you should be looking for. Did you feel based on that knowledge alone, let's say for the internal auditing, that you were competent, even though you didn't have the experience? So let me break that down for you. I was confident that I could deploy an auditing process. So I I could go onto a site and do the introduction or do the planning, do the introduction, do the audit through interview, observation and review, identify whether there was an issue, write up corrective action and then be able to report that and negotiate that to the client. I could do that. What I didn't have the competence or necessarily the confidence in just yet was could I do that on a, a supplier's site? Because I didn't know what I was going to experience when I got out there. I didn't know the condition of the place, the location or anything like that. That comes with experience doing multiple, multiple, multiple audits. You tend to build up a working history or a working knowledge of what the industry starts to look like. So, mm, And um, I think from my background and my role in inspection of, with the government, because we were doing that every day, that was our normal. Where somebody who's working in a food production facility, they're not auditing every single day. And I think it comes with repetition and frequency. Your level of experience, knowledge and skills greatly improves and you can really fast track those areas if you're doing it every single day. So I was going into many different factories chicken processing, raw meat processing, abattoirs, salad production, milk production, you know, and then going and doing retail outlets, not from a a cleanliness perspective, but looking to see that, okay, were they putting adulterants in the meat? Were butchers actually putting sulfur dioxide illegally in the meat? Doing label reviews of, say, massive cereal companies, when you're doing that every day, I really believe that you, your skill set, you know, it, it just improves absolutely tenfold. So, yeah, Quickly, okay, I should say it, it happens a lot quicker than what you would be in the industry and you're only auditing, say, once a week or once a month. Well, you're starting to use a different set of skills now. You're starting to look at identifying issues or you're starting to do predictive analysis, which is what's going to happen next. If this process keeps running like this, or if those people keep doing stuff like that, what is the most likely outcome that will occur? And that's why people get promoted up to supervisor level, or perhaps even at this level, you might become a manager, you might be quite lucky. But what it does is that you're promoted there because you can see into the near future perhaps a little bit and say, I know that on this team, these three people are going to do the the job the same every single time, but 
old mate over here, they're going to slack off about halfway through the day because they get a bit sleepy and their work level drops off. So I'm going to have to rotate their jobs around so that they stay sharp. So you're starting to be able to peer into the future based on your past experiences. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say from experience. So I know that I could, you know, there was a seven out of 10 butcher shops. I know I could go in there and they would be using illegal chemicals. I knew exactly where to go look for these chemicals because of my past experience. I didn't have to waste time asking questions. I just knew that it would have been shoved up under the the sink, you know, sure. in the, the main wash area. Or I would know to... Um, look inside the toilet system so, for a dangling bag. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> that, oh, that's it. But also go just out the back because they would see you coming a mile away. And in these days, we went through a phase where we actually had our vehicles marked so they knew that the food inspector was coming, which was a stupid, stupid idea. And we did fight that and got the stickers removed from our cars. But it would be nothing for them to go and put the chemicals, the illegal chemicals out the back. So I would just go straight out the back before someone had a chance to run around the side and go and dump it in a bin or something. And the other side of it was that where the area that I was had to look after, you'd get maybe two butcher shops into a run and then you would stop because what they would do, they would ring the next town, the next town's yes. butcher and say, yeah. inspectors are out, they're on their way, blah, blah, blah. So we knew from experience that number three, number four, number five would all be compliant. But if we actually the next day went up and started in the reverse, we could grab those three because we, we knew they were doing the wrong thing. Yeah, so highly predictive and being able to map people's actions Absolutely. of what they would do. I think I've got similar stories in the uh, oyster industry up and down the eastern seaboard of Australia when I was tasked with auditing all of them at one particular point, and this was probably not long after the, the Wallace Lakes incident. For those in Australia who might remember the, the issue, the for food those, poisoning issue there. Yeah, for those who don't, there was massive hepatitis A outbreak and put back to it was, contaminated uh, Yeah, it was contaminated water. water, but why was that the oyster farmers' issues? Because their depuration techniques weren't uh, probably advanced or weren't being um, used effectively. Oh, this will be another moment where we have a conflict another about moment. this. We're having a moment, people. Where <laughs> we have a conflict about that. It was contaminated water and it doesn't – they were all still doing their purification process because I know we were doing that with health anyway, but – when you've got such high levels of contamination in the water, if you're following your procedure of your 48-hour purification, it's still not long enough to get rid of the, the viruses and Well, I think this is the when water, the so. positive release system started to come yeah. into play because that wasn't a, a factor, factor. Of, yeah, at that particular yeah. point in time. Even though they had their own knowledge around you know how turbid the water was and things like that. Mm. Anyway, we digress we on oysters. Digress. I don't yeah. eat oysters. So I hate oysters. I love them. Can't get enough <laughs> of them. So what what we're really talking around here is, as Amanda was uh, recounting in some of her stories, are about just knowing where to look. Things is you're starting to further develop ethics now. You yeah. might say, oh, but I'm an ethical person anyway. I was born with it. Well, no one's born with ethics for a starter. It's something that's- How much money? <laughs> yeah. It's something that comes with your family and your upbringing and also attributed back to your behavioural attributes as well. 
But what we're talking about is what's right for the business and what's right for the process and then hopefully what's right for the consumer of the of the product at the end of the day as well. Well, hopefully in that food safety role, you're actually putting that as a priority because I do have a lot of people contact me around what should they do. They're in a business where there's no management commitment. They're doing dodgy things. Yeah. The poor QA person or food safety manager or team leader or whoever are afraid to say anything or whistleblow because they need the job. So it's where do you draw that line? And hopefully when you're at this competent level, you can actually make that decision of what is more important and hopefully it is the safety of the people you're producing the food for. Yeah, and I think we're seeing that turn up in food safety systems these days. Uh, that Everyone's looking for the, the next level, the next paradigm in food safety and that's where I'm hearing conversations around food safety culture. Absolutely. How to audit food safety culture. This ties back into this. Ethics is a component of food safety culture, but as a person who's competent in the space, you'll be able to predict the outcome of productions at that site based on things such as the culture of the organisation, not just the system. Yeah, and I think being able to identify when things aren't right and I think also at this level you're starting to just starting to trust your own inner feelings yep. around stuff. If you've got a you know a hunch that something's not right, you tend to act. You're getting more intuition around what's right and what's wrong yep. within and the business. I think also very importantly is that your peers or your employers also see that and they're trusting you to use those skills and attributes more often in your role. So you're adding more value to the organisation by using or utilising these sorts of skills. And so what what does that look like? I mean, if I was an employer, what would this person look like behaviourally when they're working on my site? I would say they're very confident. I would say that they're very influential in the workspace, uh, workspace. People are coming to them for an opinion or they're influencing the, the opinion and decisions. And that's that's definitely one thing. If you are a team leader, you have to have that ability because you need to be able to enact change. If someone's not doing the right thing, you need to be able to help change their behaviour. And if you don't have that influence, you won't be able to change it. Absolutely. And intimately linked with that is interpersonal skills. You'll be able to adjust your message based on the audience you're communicating to. So you're thinking about what is the most effective way to communicate to your audience. Yeah, so you are starting to think a little bit outside the square now because not everybody's not the same and the way that you get one person to do something is completely different how you get somebody else to do it. Absolutely. And I, I see that just in my own two children, you know, <laughs> how I get – you know, my favourite son to do what he needs to do is very different to what I say to my my daughter, who I don't really need to say anything because she's my favourite child. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> she's a mini me. She just knows she can. I think we actually share a same brain, the same thing. She just knows where the son. Yeah, he's. You've got to talk to him a different way. Well, these are behavioural attributes, and as a person that's competent, you should have some training or some skills around behavioural leadership or behavioural techniques 
and learn how to adjust your style to get the most out of the person that you're interacting with. And so this ties into leadership. So at this level, you should start to have some quite well-developed leadership capabilities. And I think in also, if you're in that role, the knowledge of what's expected of a leader and what attributes and what uh, skills, I don't, I think that is a missing piece. And I see that in a lot of my clients, consultancy clients, that those team leaders haven't had any leadership training. They haven't been sent to those courses to learn, you know, people are different and you you do have to adjust your message. Absolutely. Thinking back to some of the roles that I've held in the industry, so moving outside of that uh, supplier audit role, I was asked to volunteer on an auditor certification panel at this particular point in time because I was recognised by others as having good ethics, so what should auditors look like, and I was also very conscientious about the work I was doing. So I was doing work not only for the business I was in but also for the industry too. In other words, building the recognition of other audit professionals out there. At this point in time, I still wasn't an external auditor. I was an internal auditor or a second-party auditor, however you wish to call it, but people from external audit agencies were looking at the work I was doing because our paths would cross. There would be Mm -hmm. an external auditor doing a certification audit on the same day as I was doing an internal audit. So, you know, word spreads, people watch your capabilities, people see that you're quite skillful at deploying your knowledge to get an outcome and that you're demonstrating good experience because you can identify, you can predict the future a little bit, do a bit of uh, problem identification and problem solving at the same time. Yeah, and I think also to go hand in hand with that is that you are highly committed to the process yep. and not just around I'm here to earn money or I'm here to pay the bills. You're actually starting to think outside that space in I actually – want to make sure that things are safe and things are better and the way we get better is that we we work with our team to help them get up to the same level as what we are. So I think those interpersonal skills and being able to report to management around, you know, this is what's happening. You may now start having some influence with management. Maybe you come up with the I think there's a better way to do the process. So remember when we talk back in the novice area, uh, the novice episode, we don't just rock it and start saying, I think we would this job would be better if we use like a, a shovel six times the size as the one we're using. We'll be able to get through this job quicker. You don't do that 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 phase, but I think now at the competent phase that you can actually start talking about change management and more efficiency in a process. Absolutely. I think, uh, so how would you know if you're a competent person? Like what what would give it away? Well, apart from you having a feeling about it, some of the things you might recognise is people are coming up having a conversation to you about your next job. That could be there's a, a manager role popping up in the, in the business. I think you should consider applying for it. Or, you know, there's a project team being put together. I think you should get on that project team. Or... Hey, there's a, a meeting for the industry association 
end of the week in the evening, I want you to come with me to it because uh, I want to introduce you to some people. These are pretty good indicators that you're at a competent level. Mm. And, that and people, trust as well. And, oh, yeah, and high trust, yeah. People trust. Yeah, because you're starting to not only develop process and people and, and uh, product for an organisation, you're also being asked in some cases to represent that organisation to the industry. So you're at a competent level where you can go in and you can talk with a deep understanding of the organisation the the trends that it follows uh, in terms of, well, we've just implemented this new bit of machinery and it does this for us, or uh, we've upgraded our HACCP system to include VASIP now because, you know, we're, we've started a new product line and it's selling to a new market with a new customer. So you can talk at those levels now. You're a competent person. And I think just to put that in the context of food industry as in in manufacturing, Maybe you've been asked to go onto a task force with other like businesses as a representative of the company of you know maybe in that HACCP area food safety, maybe you've got sister companies within your group of your organizational group that you're now representing your site in for food safety at those places that may may not you might have to get to the actual supervisor level. It, again, it just depends on how many people you have in your organisation and, and how that would all work. But definitely at this competent level, you are competent to do that. Absolutely. You might just be hovering below a, a line manager uh, level in the organisation. You could be, if you're a, in the laboratory, you could be at a um, technical expert or a technician level, I should say, or a senior technician, but you may not have made it yet to laboratory manager or technical expert. And I think even being on representing your team on inner company meetings. So you have to go to the Monday meeting, the Monday morning meeting and report on what your outcomes are and what you guys are going to do for that week to the rest of the other business teams Absolutely. within your organization. Yep. So you're not only organizing your time now, you could be organizing others' time within your team. So uh, what tasks they're going to do or when a task occurs as well or what happens if a task can't be completed lines broken downs closed for maintenance mm. etc what do you do with the people in your charge at that point in yeah. time so time management obviously is another yep. attribute we and we haven't really touched on time management previously but this is definitely in at this level of yep. being competent so i think that wraps up this particular episode yeah have we covered so. everything you think pete absolutely i think, I think uh, if you're unsure of what a competent position is or if you're competent, then you can always drop Amanda or myself a, a note after the podcast and we'll do our best to answer it for you. Yeah, and I'll also put in the show notes just the table of the skills, knowledge, yep. experience and attributes great. that we've talked about today just so you can start piecing that together. Absolutely. So in the next episode, I think, Pete, when we rejoin in a fortnight's time, I think, we're going to be Based on your work, work ability and your absolutely. work, wherever you're jetting off to, well, obviously not Italy or if I'm not quarantined uh, on an island somewhere, somewhere. With, with coronavirus. Yeah, great. You won't be coming up here then if that's the case. We're going to be doing going to our next level. Yep, the proficient we, professional. Proficient. Yep. And I'll be looking forward to learning what's the difference between proficient and competent. Very good. So until then, thanks, Pete. Thanks for listening. See you next time. 
You've been listening to HACCP Mentor. For all your food business, HACCP, quality and food safety compliance tools, check out our website at www.hacapmentor.com. You can also find all the links and resources mentioned in the show notes to this episode.